Welcome to Boldly Lit and On Fire Podcast. My name is Jordani McCoy, also known as Coach Donnie. This podcast was created to deliver enormous value for my tribe. These are people that desire to live a life they are boldly lit and on fire about. And for those that currently live a little life and want even more clarity, certainty, and creativity. My tribe takes radical responsibility for their lives and value the feeling of excitement, expansion, and emotional freedom. Together, we are on the love train, baby, with the purpose of self-love and love for others. So let's get this party started. Can you say powerhouse? Well, let me tell you, I got a powerhouse for you today. Her name is Shimwe Esamai. She is an international attorney, a speaker, an author, a coach, a blogger, a mom, a wife, and she does it all while radiating a boldly lit and on fire energy. I am so honored to have her here, and I promise you in every phase of her life that we address during this conversation, there will be gold nuggets that you can take for consumption. There will be gold nuggets that you can take to apply to your life and your family. I loved it all, even when she shared that she knew she wanted to be an attorney at the age of three. I don't know what you were doing at the age of three, but I know I wasn't thinking about nothing like that. I hope you enjoy this interview. I know you will enjoy this interview. Grab a cup of coffee, have a seat, do whatever you got to do, because you're going to like this one. I'll see you on the other side. Well, hello, Shimway. I am so happy to have you. Thank you for accepting my invitation. You're welcome. And I am happy to be here as well. Thank you for having me. So this is going to be so organic, right? I didn't write out no questions. I'm not doing all that, you know. So when you come, you bring so much to the table, okay? You're like Catwoman and Superwoman (laughs) and all these other women, you know, wrapped together. (laughs) So what's your backstory? Like, how did all the, how did Catwoman, Superwoman and who's, who's another woman? Wonder Woman. There you go. There you I go. I was gonna say. Yeah. I was gonna say. I may have been called one of those. I don't know that I've been called all of them together. <laughs> no, it's no, because you got a sex appeal, honey. You're not. You're not coming to the table like uh-uh, no, no, no. You got a sex appeal. So we got Catwoman. We have Wonder Woman and Superwoman. <laughs> See, I never, I never want to be called su- su- Superwoman. I would take Catwoman, but you got all three. <laughs> you got. I will all three. take. I will take all of them. I I very, very lovingly accept all of the good, above. Good. Awesome. It is a compliment. So how did Little Shimway, like, what's your backstory? So I grew up in Nigeria. I'm one of five children. So I'm the middle child of five, five children. Grew up in Nigeria. We moved to the U.S. in 1995. So I was about 17 at the time. So it was 
right before college. And so I think that's the big backstory, right? That transition from growing up in a developing country. My father was a professor. And basically the reason we came to the United States was for education. So there were all of these faculty strikes going on in colleges in Nigeria. My parents really valued education. And they said, you know, if we had the opportunity for them to go to the United States to study, we would take And we were very fortunate that my mom was able to get a diversity visa. I don't know if those still exist, but we were all able to come with her as a result of that. And so I was 17. It was actually very close before my 17th birthday. So I came here, started with college, and then went to law school. And then uh, the professional journey has been very interesting. So I think it's been an ongoing process of discovering, you know, who I am, my purpose, what's important to me, and what I'm meant to do in this world. When did you decide to go to law school? Ooh, I think that has been forever. For as long as I remember, I might have been like three years old. So I think part of the reason was when I was young and I was very outspoken, people said, oh, you talk a lot. You should be a lawyer. Right. So that was the initial that was the earliest seed. But then as I grew up and went through elementary school, high school, college, I think that decision has evolved. Right. It's gone from, oh, you talk a lot. You should be a lawyer to oh, why am I drawn to this profession? What is it about this profession that I love? And why do I think this is the best expression of my potential? And so over the years, I came to embrace it for better reasons than people just saying they thought that I would make a good lawyer. And so in college, I majored in political science. But yeah, so that desire to go to law school was from the earliest years when I was a toddler. As long as I could speak, I think I remember having that to go to law school. Wow, that's great. Did you have someone in your family that you were admiring and you wanted to follow in their footsteps? That's such a good question. So I definitely come from a family of academics. So my my dad's a professor, as I said. My mom also, growing up, she had a master's degree. She actually just got her PhD a few years ago, less than 10 years ago. So we had, we were surrounded by academics. I had a lot of uncles who were doctors, and who had master's degrees, but no lawyers in my family, as far as I remember. So I think I, the first attorney in my family, my immediate, or I would even say extended family that I know of. So I didn't really have growing up specific lawyers that I looked up to. Maybe in Nigeria, as I started, maybe in high school, there might've been people that I'd seen on TV that I thought were really interested in all our family friends who were lawyers, I thought were impressive, but there wasn't anyone specific like in my family that was a lawyer that I looked up to. So that's great. That's, that's awesome. That's really interesting that no one like in your immediate surrounding, right. Was that, but you at such a young age are like, I'm going to be an attorney. Okay. (laughs) Yes. I love that. So how did your family respond? I think they responded well to it. They encouraged it because, like I said, they really valued education. And I was also good at it because I found, you know, as I started school, I was really good at, you know, writing and reading and anything that required, you know, analyzing things. So my analytical skills were very strong. So I was great at political science, literature, all of these things that I think were really great foundations for law. So 
they were very encouraging of it. And it's funny, it wasn't just that I wanted to be a lawyer. I think I wanted to be an international lawyer, which I don't know, like just watching TV and seeing the UN, I thought, oh yeah, I want to do something global. Like that, that was an intention from, from a very young age. Um, my parents, they, I would say they encouraged us to excel academically but it never felt like pressure. It never felt like they said, well, you have to do X. And if you don't, you know, you don't belong here. There was a bit of a natural encouragement in that direction, but it wasn't, it didn't feel like pressure, if that, if that makes sense. Oh, wow. That's great. Because yeah. so many families, so many people, I'm sure you've come across, I've come across, have taken certain directions, right? Because they're almost yes. like filling the whatever their parents wanted them to do or whatever, maybe even what yes. their parents want to, you know, wanted to do themselves. Yes. That's awesome. So then, yeah. so, okay. So we have three years old, right? And then we went into your teenage years. Now, were you like on debate teams at school and you were just all like, of, you were kicking ass all over the place, of, you know? All of the above. I was always on stage. I loved being on stage from the earliest years. I mean, mm-hmm. we would have the Christmas play and I was the lead on the Christmas play. I was always Mary, like whatever the lead character was. I did poetry a lot. I wrote my own poems early on and I would recite them. I, did, I was in the theater competitions, sports. I was also very athletic. I used to run track and field. I was very fast. So I, I really loved performing, like from in high school around that point, I really did. And then in college, I was on the debate team. So we would travel to various universities and compete. So yes, definitely. Did that same journey continue on to college and then so on and so forth? Yes. So in college, I was also involved in a lot of activities. I will say that the extracurricular activities in college really helped me in terms of prepping for law school, but they also helped me, I would say, transitioning into the U.S. Because one of the biggest transitions that I had coming from high school in Nigeria to start in college was being very conscious of being an immigrant. I was very conscious at the time of my accent. I was, I wouldn't speak up in class. So being part of the debate team and all of these other activities really helped me integrate better. It helped me find my place. It helped me find my voice. So by the time I was graduating from college, I was speaking up. I also had some really great supportive uh, professors as well that kind of drew out sides of me. Even when I was feeling shy and self-conscious, they really helped me speak up more. I love that. We come with so much wisdom, don't we? You know, especially when we reach our 30s and 40s and all that. We have so much wisdom. So what would you say to maybe a parent that might be listening, okay, or even a younger person that might be listening, uh, because my podcast is lit, okay? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I got problems, All right. So what would you say to someone that has a child that w- maybe wants to inspire their, their child and, and they, they want the best for them, but... But like you said, I love what you, when you said this, you said, my parents, they gave us support, but they didn't pressure us to go into one particular area. Correct. What would you say to a parent now that wants to do what you're Yes. And I know it is tough because I, uh, I'm raising three children, right? <laughs> so I'm a 14-year-old, an 11-year-old, and an 8-year-old. And I know that for one, the Times are so different, right? Sometimes my daughter says to me, 
when I talk about growing up in Nigeria, she would say that was a different time and place, (laughs) which is true. But I do agree that a lot of the principles are the same. So I think what we as parents want to do or what we strive to do is encourage our children to find their gifts to figure out what they love, what they enjoy, and to develop and grow that, but also give them a sense of exploration, which is you don't have to commit, you don't have to have it all figured out, right? Because sometimes we may see people who have it figured out from from an early age and think that there's by, for example, age 10, the child needs to know what they're going to do. But that's not the way life works because I think as we, we will probably discuss as well, even though I knew I wanted to be a lawyer, I wanted to be an international lawyer, there's a lot within that that I had to find. I had to figure out. So there were some decisions that I had to make along the way there as well, right? Mm-hmm. So I think for parents, the best advice will be encourage your children, right, to explore and understand their gifts. Hold them to a high standard. Because mm-hmm. even though we may say I, we're not going to prescribe for them what to do, we do want to challenge them to know that they're capable of a lot and that they're capable of great things. So I would say that those are the most important things and then communicating frequently about it. So helping them and as they think through options and that they consider options, just giving them your input or giving them insights, but not pushing them in one direction or another. Because what I found is a lot of times, more often than not, when someone feels pushed or pressured into a particular field, it doesn't last. It's either they're unhappy and you talk to them about their job and they say, oh, I just did this because my dad wanted me to do it. Or I just did this because it was already in my family. And there's, it's rare that you see them say, and I love it, right? (laughs) Um, So so I think allowing them to explore their natural gifts is, is such a big thing. And then from there, discover how they can live a life of impact. Oh, I love that. Woo-hoo. I want to have some babies just so I can do that. <laughs> I will say, as any, as any parent who probably that you know will tell you, it's like also one of the scariest things, right? Because in every moment you're wondering, wow, like what an enormous responsibility But it's also a mix because you also know that they have their own path, right? So you're there to help guide and provide insights, but they also will learn things on their own. And so it's trusting that you give them the right guidance and then they figure the rest out and they fill in the blanks. The problem I think for parents sometimes is we want to, sometimes we might want to over-engineer. So we want to protect them from making mistakes or protect them from learning. But we know that life, it's meant to be lived and people will learn their own lessons as they go through life. And, and I think that's the beauty of it. But it's figuring out how to create the right environment for them to, to thrive and to be challenged. Yeah. I love that. And of course, the, the one thing I was also going to add, which is the biggest, what my daughter says, different time and place, I will say one big difference is the internet, Right. So even when my eldest was born, the internet was not as big as it is today. So it's, you know, figuring out what, how do you, how do you navigate that? I think in earlier years, a lot of parents just pushed against it, but how do you push against the internet in the year 2020? Also a time of quarantine where a lot of people are online. So it's a question of engaging it. It's not a question of 
you know, pushing against things or objecting or resisting, but to say, let's engage this and let's figure out. So for one example could be my youngest who loves to play video games. You can play with your friends, but it has to be on the weekend. You can't do that during the week because during the week you're focused on school and your homework, because I think it's also recognizing that even for adults, the internet is very distracting. So much more with the kids, right? So it's also helping them to be able to put it in its right place and in the right context and protecting them and all of the above. So it's not easy being a parent in this day and age, I have to say. So what would you say if there's a parent out there that maybe sees their kid going in a direction that they think is completely wrong and they absolutely don't approve of? Then what would you do about that? What would it's you tough. That? It's tough because there there are variations, right? There are habits that are so destructive that you know maybe you need an intervention, right? There may be habits that, and it could vary. Maybe you might just need a more, a very direct conversation. But I, I do think that, I often think about it the way, you know, when Tony Robbins does his interventions, he says, you know, when you really love someone, even though you know that they may fight, the, the intervention, but you know, ultimately that is good for them. So I think it depends on the nature of the destructive behavior that the person is engaged in. That's, that's the way I would, uh, certain things, if it's just a choice between X career and Y, that's not really destructive. That's just, you know, a choice. But if we're dealing with things like, you know, addictions and things of that nature, I think that's where as a parent, I've actually heard someone say there has to be ownership by the person who's involved and the parents in order to really help people get to where they need to be. But it's, it's very tough and it's very sensitive. Like when we get into destructive behaviors, it's very different. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, but that, I like, I like that advice because I came from more of that kind of, uh, my, my upbringing was way more of a dictatorship. Like it was like, look, you are the child, okay? I am the parent. This is, this is how it's going to be. But I like how you differentiated that and you said, okay, if it's this career, that career, that's not destructive. You might not agree with it. Correct. <laughs> and just because you don't agree doesn't mean it's destructive. So that in itself, somebody's going to listen to that and say, oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's, that's really Yes. Good. So how do you juggle everything that you do now? Because you have a lot on your plate. It is very challenging. And I think what's made it even more challenging is that more recently, I've started to focus on getting more sleep. <laughs> Not because, again, in my wiser years, <laughs> this is not the college years where I could survive on four hours of sleep. I think now I'm more intentional about, again, getting more sleep, wellness, overall wellness. So it's even more challenging. But I think the, what, I, what I try to do is to be very intentional with planning my time. I don't know if you're familiar with an Evo planner. And the Evo planners, are they're very structured towards your brain type. And I'm an explorer. So Ooh. listing the, the most important priorities and then time chunking as well for the day and then focusing on gratitude. And then there's also a section where I just brain dump what are all the things that need to be done and then prioritizing and time, time chunking them. So that helps me a lot. There are days or weeks that there, there seems to be a sense of overwhelm where it's just a lot, right? It's just, you know, a lot of whether it's now we're not traveling as much, 
but the virtual engagements are still very much there. And so some days it does seem like a lot, right? So making sure that I'm clear and focused in the commitments that I make and being very intentional about my time management, I think is how I navigate all of it. So I know we're not publicizing any plan or anything like that, but I do have a question. So is there one, because you said you're very intentional, right? Is there one thing that you do every day or very often that you feel has helped you just navigate all of this? Because a big area where a lot of people are stuck in to live a more Mm -hmm. happier, freer, boldly lit life is that they feel that they're overwhelmed. Yes. And sometimes it's that two millimeter shift that actually gets us from overwhelm, right? To like, oh my God, I can do this. So for me, I think the biggest thing is taking quiet time in the morning, either prayer or meditation, just taking the time to start out with intention. And that also gives me the clarity to say yes to certain things or no to certain things or prioritize different things. I could say yes, but not now. And so it's being that clear, but also I think being clear on my goals for a specific quarter. I am very, I plan in 90 day chunks. So if I say for this quarter, these are the top goals that I'm looking to accomplish and here's why. So grounding it in in the why. And then from that point of clarity, you know, certain things actually either line up or they fall off as a priority. And so I think it's, it's really coming from that, that place of clarity is what helps me a lot. Because I think the sense of overwhelm, at least when I've experienced it, it's often this sense of being pulled in different directions or being needed in all of these various things. And, and so I think when we come from a place of clarity, it's either we're doing things because we want to, and yes, it may be a lot, but it's what we want. It's what we've chosen, right? That's you. I think there's that difference between this is what I've chosen and I'll have it no other way. It may be busy, it may be hectic, but that's what it takes. And here's my why. And I'm going for it because I, I'm definitely one of those people who would much rather be incredibly busy than bored. I mean, I, I was actually, I, I'm not sure. I think I was listening to an audiobook where they were talking about boredom. And I know that that's one of the things that I really do not appreciate. And I haven't been bored in a while, so that's fine. So when I take days of rest, that's more intentional rest. It's not that I'm bored. It's that I'm taking today to decompress and I'm taking today to refuel my batteries. And that's actually something I think a lot of people, we need to be very intentional about doing too, is taking time off, right? Taking time off to reset your batteries and just clear your head, clear your mind. It's good to do that every day, but it's also good to take days in a row. so that you can really be clear about where you want to go. And I'm so happy that you're saying that versus me saying that, because the reality is I'm not married. I don't have any kids. And a lot of times when women like me say that, other people say, you don't have these responsibilities. And you're married, you have kids, and you travel around the world for your job. Yes, Yes. And and so even to give you a more practical way that the intention works is I got the 90 day plan. I look at just areas of life. So it's not just work, career, mission. So work, career, mission is just one bucket. 
Then there's finances. Then there's family and relationships. So I set out goals for each of the children. You know, what is the focus for my first child? What is the focus for the second? What's the focus for the youngest? Sometimes it could be something as simple as getting X number of library books this week and making sure we, we read them. Just being clear about what each of those buckets needs and then, you know, volunteer, et cetera. But it's making sure that, and that's how we become well-rounded and that's how we can actually live with intention is because we identify what's most important to us. And if we're revisiting that and saying, these are the things that are most important to me and I accomplish them, everything else is just extra, right? So if I got the library book for the kid or, you know, we focused on, you know, whatever it is for any of the children, if that's done and, you know, date night with a husband, because yes, the spouses do have to be prioritized. They often get forgotten. (laughs) Really being intentional about all of that. And when we accomplish those things that we place importance on, I think that gives us a greater sense of uh, fulfillment than... Because if you're overwhelmed, it's because you're either spending a lot of time responding and reacting to demands on you. It's because you're not living with intention. I think often that's what happens. Yes, sometimes when you're living with intention, there are a lot of commitments and it's a lot. But then that's when you remind yourself, I chose this and will I have it any other way? And usually the answer is no. I love that. There was a quote that I saw either on Facebook or somewhere and it I'm like, this is mine. I'm keeping this. And it said it has nothing to do with our to-do list. It has more to do with what you're doing. You're not on fire about. A hundred percent. Yeah. A hundred percent. Because I think that's the biggest drain on people's time is they spend time on things they're not on fire about. Then you feel drained. But if everything you did, or if the majority of your day were things that you decided are priorities, either from a work and mission perspective, from a family and relationship perspective, from a financial perspective, if, if those have priority, you're not going to feel drained and overwhelmed at the end of the day. It's not just going to feel like a to-do list because you've created that. You've created your focus and your time. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people intentionally are not like end up spending time, whether it's on t- spending a lot of time on the news, getting sucked into the news or watching TV shows or doing things that just don't necessarily fill them up. And so, yeah, that does feel draining and overwhelming. What you're saying, what it sounds like to me is that you live according to your values. It's amazing. And maybe this is ignorant on my part. Okay. But I've had some clients that are even in personal development and mm-hmm. They have told me, this is several, more than several have told me, no one has actually sit down with them and actually read. That's the first thing I normally do is we sit down, we go deep on your values. One of my highest values is freedom. Okay. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel expanded, right? It makes me feel limitless, right? So you're the way, what you're describing, I'm like, you live 100% based on your values. And that's why you radiate a boldly lit and on fire energy. No, I even said that Thank like you. in my first, in my first uh, episode, I said, I'm going to handpick everyone. It's going to be based because they live, they radiate a boldly lit and on fire energy. And it makes sense. Thank you. Thank you so sense. much. It, it makes Thank absolute you. sense. And I love that you clearly laid that out because there's so many people that just don't live like that. And they actually think that that, is not even possible for them. Correct. 
I love that. So tell me, now that we talk about this, you on your on your values. I love how you broke down the different sections. I told you guys, she's a superwoman, a catwoman, a wonder woman. And she got it all down packed. So what are you doing now? Like as far as your career, I know you're a world-class attorney. You are a coach. Is there anything else? <laughs> tell me. Tell Writer, me blogger. That. Yeah. So the attorney part, that's the city part where I run cities anti-bribery program globally, which I love, you know. Don't as you can that. Tell, you're like, I run cities. Blah, 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 blah. Like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so basically... I run the anti-bribery program. What that means is making sure that when we do business, we do business in over 160 countries, that we don't pay anything that could be perceived or defined as a bribe so that we're doing business ethically everywhere that we do business. So that's that. But I love it and I'm passionate about it. And the reason I came into it is growing up in Nigeria and having, um, I honestly believe that being able to disrupt some of the patterns around bribery and corruption will really help Nigeria, my home country, to live and perform at their highest potential. So that's the reason I got into this space. So I enjoy it. I love it. It gives me an opportunity to really do work work that has an impact. And I advise people who are in the corporate setting to pick and choose career paths that they're passionate about, where they can apply their natural skill sets, they can really do work that is impactful and work that they can connect with. Because you're spending a lot of time doing it. So don't let it be a drudgery, okay? Pick wisely. So that's what I often say about the corporate work. So in addition to that, I also, I blog and I speak about women and leadership because just coming through um, as a lawyer in corporate America and in financial services, there are a few things that I've learned. And I've also realized that what has been obvious to me isn't necessarily obvious to a lot of high-performing up-and-coming women. So what I've been doing is sharing that, sharing the insights, sharing lessons around executive presence, around communication, around networking, and just really building relationships and being able to advance in their careers. Because what I tend to find is a lot of women, they're working hard and they feel they're doing the right things, but maybe feel like they're stuck. So it's figuring out how to help people break through whatever limitations that they may be experiencing in their industry or their company. So that's the women and leadership piece. I wrote a book about immigrant women and leadership. So I interviewed a number of women who are immigrants from various countries, but they're living their American dreams, basically. And so what I've done is identify what it is that has made them so successful and what makes the difference between immigrants that come to this country and excel And the millions of immigrants that come and don't excel, because I think a lot of times we hear the beautiful stories and people say, well, immigrants have so much potential. They come to the U.S., they work hard, they're resilient, they have supportive families, and voila, they thrive. Turns out that's not the case. There are a lot of immigrants who are working hard and not excelling. So what I'm trying to do with this book is identify the traits that differentiate the immigrant women that really end up being trailblazers, leaders in their fields, and innovators, and in order to really share with other immigrant women how they can build their American dreams. That was a powerhouse. That was a lot. And that was good. That was good. So I have three questions. (laughs) Okay. There were two things that you can share with my audience right now that you've noticed 
you said there's women that in the professional world that want to reach a certain platform or want to reach a certain place in their career, but they're stuck. So what are two things that you feel, why you feel that they're stuck? That's two questions. And then the one question is, what have you noticed in the women, the immigrant women that succeed and don't succeed? What have you noticed there? Yes. So in terms of the people who are stuck, I think often one of the things, if I were to even make it a more general point, it has to do with not understanding their industry or the rules of the game required to get ahead. So just not really having an understanding of what the expectations are, what the company values, because in order to really be valued by the company, you have to understand what they value and what they seek to do in the world. So I think a lot of times there's a disconnect between the person's understanding of what the company is looking for and what they're doing. The second has to do with developing certain skills, just leadership skills around self-awareness, being able to take feedback, understanding what their strengths and weaknesses are, understanding what they need to improve upon. So that varies from person to person. For some people, it's executive presence. They don't communicate effectively. They may be super smart, but people just don't really see them as a leader. And they haven't figured out how to communicate in a way that really influences people, is impactful, and enables people to go where they, they would like for them to go. So I think those are some of the, that's just one example. For some people, it could just be that they're not building effective relationships. They're, they're not building at the right levels and broadly enough within their organization in order for them to advance. For some people, it could be that they made a mistake and haven't learned from that mistake and they're repeating the mistake over and over. So it does vary, but those are just some of the buckets that I've noticed as common themes So in terms of immigrant women, the ones that really excel and the ones that I've, uh, one of the traits that I've noticed is they define themselves and they don't allow someone others to define them. So they determine how they want to be perceived. They determine what it is they want to do. And that starts from really knowing themselves and knowing how they can uniquely contribute to this world, right? So that, that's one. Another trait that I've seen is definitely redefining, so not taking no for an answer. So always understanding that failure is a critical ingredient to success. So almost all the successful immigrant women I've interviewed have said they had this point of failure or they had this really disappointing moment and they could have given up, but they decided that there had to be another way, right? So having that mental, I would say the mindset and the resilience to say, I will find the way. It may not be as I originally envisioned it, but I will find a way. So if you tell me no, I will figure out a way to get there. And that sort of is like not allowing others to define them, but it's really having that resilience to keep going. It sounds like that's resilience and a lot of resourcefulness too, right? Resourcefulness is huge. Yes. And the kinds of questions they ask themselves. I was actually speaking to one of them earlier today and she said, and I, I love this so much. It's so powerful. She said, know what you know, but also know who knows what you don't know. Yes, that's so true. So it's also, it's being able to leverage relationships. So if, if, if you went into a situation and you said, well, I don't really know the answer to that. Some people stop at, I don't know. But then the questions she asks herself is, who do I know that could know someone who knows the answer to this. 
You got that right. Man, you know, that's so funny. My father, I'm first generation born American. And my father escaped from political prison in Cuba. And he came over here and he is the successful immigrant story. But, you know, he always taught me, you don't have to know everything, but you got to know who knows. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, you know what? Another friend of mine, he taught me. <laughs> he, he taught me also. He said that that's really what differentiates secure leaders versus insecure leaders, Right. Because a secure leader really wants the people around them to be much smarter and much because they want to learn and they want to grow. Insecure leader wants to be the top of the team. Yes. They want to be the smartest person in the room. They want to have all the answers. Then that's not leadership. Yes. Yes. Exactly. I love that. I love. So I want to ask you one more question. You said something that a couple people I know feel like they want more of, and that was executive presence. Presence, yes. Yeah. So is there like a book you would recommend or is there something that you would? I've written an article for Forbes about it. So I think that's a really good starting point, the article I wrote for Forbes, and I I can send it to you. They're also, I'm trying to, to be honest, the best training I got around this, I'd gone to a workshop. There's an organization I'm I'm a part of. It's called Elevate Network. And they had done, it was the best Saturday investment I'd ever made, which was Elevate had had this um, Saturday workshop on executive presence. And the the woman who had taught it, really good friend till today, her name is Julia McNamara. And she had people you practiced it. So she talked about what it meant and she had let us practice. We recorded it and she had actors as well sharing with us how actors communicate things. Cause I think sometimes as women, we're very expressive and I'm expressive and that's good, but it's also knowing not to always wear all our emotions on our sleeves and knowing when some of it should be beneath the surface knowing when to modulate. One of the biggest things I learned in terms of corporate communication is pausing and taking up room because I tend to have a lot to say, but pausing, I think, helps things land better. Breathing, being clear about your message because when you're congruent, when you share a message, it lands better. You feel better saying it lands better for people. And so there are a number of tools like that. So that course was the most, helpful to me personally, but I'll also look for resources and see if there's more that I can share because that's a topic that comes up a lot. And the reason it comes up a lot is when organizations start to look for people to take on senior leadership roles, they want people who are effective communicators. And that's where a lot of people who may be strong performers may not make it into those higher leadership roles because people just don't see them in that way. So executive presence is also about being seen the way you would like to be seen, being heard the way you would like to be heard. And I think that takes practice and it takes, it does take practice and it takes commitment to building the skills around it. So the question I'm going to ask everyone, so you are an attorney, you are a coach, you are a speaker, you are a blogger, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're so many things. You're Catwoman, you're Superwoman, you're Wonder Woman, right? So you have a lot to be boldly lit and on fire about. But I want to know, like, what is your, what are you boldly lit and on fire about now? What's coming for you? What are you working on right now? 
So the biggest thing for sure is this book on immigrant women and leadership, because I think as a community, as an audience, as a group of people, that's a group that's been, I would say, ignored. So the, the, the challenges that are unique to that population, to immigrant women, has not been appropriately addressed. And so I'm very excited about being able to, A, articulate the unique challenges, which can be everything from the names, having a unique name, right? Some people feel that when they come to this country, they have to change their names. The accents. Some people feel like until they have a perfectly Americanized accent, they can't speak up, they can't have a voice. So it's really being able to articulate those challenges, but then also share with those women how they can contribute right away, live their potential, and create a step-by-step from where they are to that vision of success that they had coming into this country. And by the way, I think everyone can relate to this, women in general, because everyone is an immigrant to some extent. You spoke about your father coming from Cuba. And it's the whole, the idea that America is a country of immigrants. Some people are fifth generation immigrants, some people are third, some are first. But the whole idea is sharing the success principles that these women that I've interviewed are uh, providing in order to help other women create their own dreams. So it's women who are leaders and on fire, boldly lit and on fire, setting other women on fire is this image of just like more fire around the United States and around the world. That's the image. And that's what gets me excited is having all of these leaders light up and their potential in the world. You just like totally poured into me. That was beautiful. No, seriously. And you're right. I never thought about that. I never really thought about immigrant women specifically. As leaders. Yes. But it's so true. It's so true. I totally get it. I totally get it. I mean, we have different categories of women, obviously in the United States. And I never, I never thought about that. So that's great. And there are millions of them in the workforce and there are a lot of them striving and have big dreams, bold dreams, just don't know how to make them a reality. So I'm very excited about helping them make their dreams a reality. That's good. I love that. And you know, that's so funny. What I love about this generation now, regardless of what we're going through, and wow, we didn't even talk about that, but that's okay. That's great. So um, yeah, I yeah, know, right? <laughs> they can look at the news for that. What I it's love true. about this generation is that we have the opportunity to have that conversation because my grandmother didn't have that opportunity. Correct. My Correct. mom did not have that opportunity to go after what she loves. And no, they were, as a matter of fact, I recorded some of my grandma's story and a lot of her story had to do with hunger. That was wow. the, the word that she used the most. And I was like, oh my God, but we have that the opportunity. Things we take for granted. Yeah. Yeah. So you had that opportunity to empower all these women, right? Where maybe, maybe your grandmother didn't have that opportunity. Correct. Correct. Especially as we look at the Internet, it's having access to, you know, people in India that are reading my blog or people in China or Japan, just far flung areas of the world and being able to say, hey, I can apply that to my life now. And I think that possibility and with the women that I interview, because they are from different parts of the world, I think a lot of people will see their future in those women. So even if they stay in the countries where they are, but the fact that they can live their potential, 
the fact that they can go from where they are to where they want to be and and getting the tools to do that i think is 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 remarkable and and it's yeah it's really important oh, that's great so what's the name of your blog my blog yeah so my blog is my first and last name so chinwasmi.com i'll send the website and blog just so you have all of that and you can share okay. it in the show notes as well yeah okay. so if someone wanted to reach you how would they do that so they can email me from my website or they can find me on LinkedIn, on Instagram, on social media, but I'll, I'll share all of that with you so they can, okay. so folks have access awesome. to that. Wow. This has been a wealth of this. This is amazing. I'm so happy. You're amazing. So happy. Thank you for oh, doing seriously, I'm so happy. I'm like, oh my God, this is great. I'm going to podcast for the rest of my life. And congrats for doing it, right? So think about how many people think about having a podcast or talk about having a podcast. And before we wrap up, I have to acknowledge you because you know I have to do that. First, for who you are and for being such an incredible human being and for what you were able to help me accomplish last year. So last year, as you may remember, we had met up for lunch in New York City or brunch. It might have been a Sunday brunch. You were visiting And I talked about this article I wanted to write. Specifically, it was about, it was an article for Wharton. I wanted to write for Wharton Business School, which has like millions of, they have about 5 million viewers or some ridiculous amount. And I shared it with you. And you said, would you like me to hold you accountable? And I said, yes. And you did. And it was because of you. I can clearly say that if it wasn't for you, I would not have written that article. I, I can tell you that for sure. And this is an article that goes into things that are a very core part of my why. It's about anti-corruption and investments in Africa. And you encouraged me. You held me accountable. So I want to acknowledge you for that, for having the superpower of being able to inspire people to execute on what they do and you for executing on your own dreams. So helping me execute on my commitments and you executing on your own commitments. So congrats. And I'm happy for you. Congrats on launching the podcast. (laughs) This is amazing. Oh, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Boldly Lit and On Fire podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, please reach out to me directly at boldly.lit at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in.